Welcome to this podcast by the National Institute of Economic and Social Research, NISA. I'm Paola Buonadonna, and today I'm tackling the issue of what sort of trade-offs Britain will have to prepare itself for as it contemplates life outside the EU. In particular, I'm going to delve into the issue of trade with my NISA colleague, Dr. Monique Bell, who has researched this topic in depth. Welcome to the podcast, Monique. Thank you, Paola. Now, the government has promised to trigger Article 50 by the end of March 2017, and lo and behold, suddenly we are in March, and the announcement could therefore be imminent. Um, Theresa May has already said that the UK intends to leave the single market. What do we know about the impact on UK trade of leaving the single market? Well, here at the National Institute, we've looked at data from a large number of countries mainly OECD advanced economies, but also some of the major emerging economies. And one of the key questions that we looked at was how much trade is generated by single market membership, that is by being a member of the EU single market, and how much trade is generated by more standard, say less comprehensive free trade agreements between non-EU countries. And what we found is that the single market has been very effective at generating trade, so much so that leaving the single market would lead to a decline in the UK's trade with the rest of the EU of about 60%, both for goods and for services. Now, because about half of our trade is with the EU, that means a decline in total trade of about 30% if we go to WTO membership the decline is a little bit smaller, about 22%, if we were to get some sort of an average free trade agreement with the European Union. Wow, those are really quite shocking figures. Let's unpack this uh, a little bit more. F- first of all, um, let's let's take a look at the, the, the difference between different types of, of trade agreements. So um, the, the lowest common denominator, uh, as I understand it, would be the WTO, a standard WTO agreement. Is that right? Well, the WTO isn't really a trade agreement. The WTO is a set of rules for international trade among WTO members. So the UK has been a WTO member for a very long time. So have all the other advanced economies. China, for example, has joined more recently. Right? Free trade agreements go a bit beyond those that, that just pure WTO membership, but usually they focus only on tariffs on goods, and they do fairly little for the kinds of non-tariff barriers for services that are so important. The EU single market, on the other hand, has not only eliminated tariffs on goods among EU members, but it has also gone quite a long way toward reducing what we call non-tariff barriers. Those are the kinds of more subtle rules and regulations that can make it difficult for countries to trade, especially services. So one of the key aspects of negotiating free trade agreements, either with the European Union or with other non-EU countries, is addressing non-tariff barriers. Mm -hmm. Because the UK is an economy that is unusually reliant on services, It is also unusually reliant on services exports. And the kinds of standard free trade agreements, the average free trade agreement that we observe in effect right now, actually we were unable to find any effect 
on services trade of those trade agreements. In other words, what, what you're saying is that we could enter a number of free trade agreements with a number of countries to exchange goods, but these free trade agreements wouldn't really do anything for our services experts. Right. That's, that's based on the average free trade agreement covering services in effect today. Mm. Now, that's not to say that it's not possible mm -hmm. to negotiate better free trade agreements that cover services. So the single market is an example. There are a couple of other examples. The free trade agreement between the EU and Korea goes a bit further for services, and some recent um, work by the European Commission seems to indicate that, that, that services trade between the EU and Korea has increased. Mm -hmm. um, also the CETA, the new free trade agreement between Canada and the EU, also goes a bit further on services than most free trade agreements, but it remains to be seen what the impact of that will be. And of course, in, in terms of the, the Canadian deal, I, I believe that it excludes entire categories of services, like financial services, for instance. So that wouldn't be any good for the city, would it, if we had that model with other countries? No. And you know, one thing to remember is that with the EU, at least, we have the possibility of gaining what's called equivalence. Right? So there are new regulations coming into force in the European Union to allow non-EU member states to benefit from a regime that's quite similar to passporting, mm -hmm. that is to be able to trade financial services freely throughout the mm -hmm. European Union, or actually, to be specific, throughout the European Economic Area, which also includes Norway and Iceland and Liechtenstein. But in that sense, we would still be dependent on the European Union's approval of our equivalents. And we would be having to meet regulations for financial services that we really probably had very little and, and perhaps even no say in, in crafting. Now with third countries, it's very unusual to find a free trade agreement that covers financial services. Mm -hmm. And actually, if we want to understand how fortunate we have been with passporting in the European Union, we should think about Canada, for mm -hmm. example. So Canada doesn't really have passporting between provinces. Mm -hmm. you, if you want to do, offer banking services on Ontario, you need an Ontario banking license. If you want to move and do some business in, in Alberta, in many cases you will also need to apply for a new banking license in Alberta. Mm -hmm. So what we would be giving up is actually, if we left the single market, is actually quite substantial. Now, I think we all understand what tariff barriers are, having to pay, I don't know, 10% more to import a car from, a, from, a, from another country. But, but can you give us some concrete examples of non-tariff barriers? What are they? There are a large variety of non-tariff barriers, so it's difficult to give one single definition, but I can give you many examples. Mm -hmm. So one example is getting access to public procurement markets. So being able to bid for government contracts in other countries. Um, another example are, is mutual recognition of professional qualifications. Mm -hmm. That's a very subtle but actually a very important one. So say you're an architect and you would like to build a house or advise on a building in another EU country. Well, if you want to do that, you actually, the countries, both countries need to pretty much agree on what it is that an architect needs to know in order to build a safe building. Mm. Another example is um, financial regulation, mm -hmm. right? We need to, if we're going to 
allow Estonian banks to operate in the UK, we need to be satisfied that Estonia regulates its banks in a similar way as we do. So these kinds of similar rules, recognition of professional qualifications, allowing access to public procurement markets, also things like respecting intellectual property rights. And I guess that's even more fundamental for all sorts of digital services, right? Yes. So for digital services, for the technology industry, intellectual property rights are important. So how long might it take for the impact of us moving to one of these other types of trade agreements manifest uh, themselves? Well, our estimates are for long-term impacts. So that generally means that it could take five, ten years or longer for these losses in trade to manifest themselves. But there's one other thing to remember, which is that it's very, very rare that a trade agreement breaks up. Most of our data is from trade agreements forming, not from trade agreements breaking up. Mm -hmm. And actually, we have very few precedents to follow to understand what happens when a trade agreement breaks up whether that leads to a quick and abrupt drop in trade or whether that takes a rather long time. So the effect of leaving the single market, um, uh, uh, you know, we can't really calculate that effect. We can calculate the effect of being involved in a different type of trade agreement, but we don't know what the, what, what the leaving in the first place might actually cause. Right, in the sense that nobody has ever left the EU before, so we really don't have a precedent. We, what we're estimating is the benefits from having joined. And when we say the loss in trade, we're essentially saying, what, what would it be if we would undo those gains? But ultimately, this is, an, this is an experiment. No one's ever left the EU before. We're the first. What should the UK focus on when it negotiates its new trade agreements? Well, my general answer would be that because we are such a service economy and so reliant on services exports, that we should focus on the kinds of non-tariff barriers that are important for services exports. That said, though, there's not a terribly good understanding yet of which kinds of non-tariff barriers are most important. We're going to need to set priorities in negotiating, and we're going to need to try to understand what's important, access to public procurement markets, intellectual property, recognition of professional qualifications, is it passporting and bank regulation? We're going to have to do some more work to try to understand which of these things matter particularly much for trade, and especially for the kinds of trade and industries that the UK specializes in. And in fact, one of the next projects that I hope to be working on is a really systematic look at the data to try to understand what works for trade agreements, which parts of trade agreements are most important, and which parts are most important for the kind of trade that we specialize in. This is important work because it's going to be important to set priorities for our negotiations, both with the EU in the coming months and with non-EU countries, such as the BRICS or America or Canada, once we've left the EU. Thank you, Monique. This is all we have time for today. If you would like more information about Monique's work on trade, please visit our website at www.nisa.ac.uk. And if you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to listen to more, please subscribe to our podcasts on SoundCloud or iTunes. For now, though, it's goodbyes, and I should add... Adieu, or Fidesen, adieu.